those Bibles open and flip over to the New Testament, the book of Titus, Paul's letter to one of his fellow servants of Christ, Titus. Uh, We will look again at verses 5 and 6 this week, reading 5 through 9. So Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 will be our reading. Our focus this morning will be on verses 5 and 6. And, and as you turn there, let me go ahead and say two things very uh, quickly. One, Pastor Don did so much better reading those names than I ever would. We'd still be reading and be, you know, within like the first ten verses if I had to pronounce those words. Um, and then two, uh, under the providence of God, in the providence of God, it's very fitting uh, for us to hear about uh, these men who were called to serve and also how they served. Because you, you notice something about the book of Titus. Titus is called to a very distinct, certain task. He is to set straight the churches in the island of Crete. He is to go into all the cities, straightening out the churches. There is something of infant churches that have already been planted or established. And now he is to go in and he is to kind of set them straight. And the first thing that he is to do is to appoint elders. And that's what we handled last week. Well, this week uh, we will start looking at the qualification for elders. What these men must be uh, to serve the church in the capacity of an elder. And so knowing that our Lord gives us ears to hear by his Holy Spirit, let's read our text. Again, that's Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and Ever. Well, as we began looking at these verses last week and we talked about the appointment of elders to the life of the church, what would make up what we would call in a Presbyterian church a session, Paul has commanded Titus to go into each town, into each city in the island of Crete, and he is to appoint presbyters. That's literally the Greek word there as he talks about elders. When we say that we belong or that we are members of a Presbyterian church, we are simply talking about church government, that we submit ourselves to the leadership of elders, of a session. And so as Titus travels around to these towns within the island of Crete, he is to find men who will serve alongside of him, appoint them to the role of elder so that they might do exactly what is commanded there in verse 9. So they might be able to give clear gospel instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke or correct those 
who contradicted. And so that is the job as elders. But what are these men to be? What are these men, what are their characteristics, you might say? Who are they in the town, in their families? Who are they in the privacy of their own homes? What is their demeanor? What is their personality? All of this matters as Titus moves from city to city to appoint elders within the church. And before we even get to the qualifications that are found for us, really at the end of verse 6 and carrying on through verse 9, we're not going to be able to handle all the qualifications this morning. But even before we read the qualifications and begin to expound upon those, remember I gave a few observations last week when looking at these qualifications as a whole. And if you weren't with us last week, the two that I want to emphasize, these two observations that I want to emphasize for you, is that number one, these are the qualifications for the men who are to be elders so that the Lord might bless us. And so you ask the question, how will the Lord bless our church? Well, simply by obeying His Word. We know there's something to that in the the ordinary, daily, individual Christian life, don't we? That as we pursue holiness as Christians, that the Lord promises to bless us for it. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Word of God. We studied Psalm 119 through the months of June and July, and that was the very first verse that's set before us. Blessed are those who seek holiness according to the Word of God. Well, the same thing applies to the church today. Those churches who seek to honor the Word of God, seek to obey the Word of God by appointing elders, and not just any old elder, but an elder who qualifies as set aside or set before us in the scriptures are the churches that will be blessed. And so understand as we give a a very generic observation to kind of summarize or clump together these qualifications, we are not to be about electing elders as a church based on popularity. This is not a popularity contest. Nor are we to make men elders, appoint elders, elect them, so that they'll, quote-unquote, get more involved within the life of the church. That's very kind of opposite of what we want. We want men who serve the church. We want men who love the church. We want men who desire to be elders and even deacons within the life of the church. You must aspire to this office. It's not... It's not just who's the most popular within the church. It's not, well, you know, he could do more within the life of the church, so let's make him a leader within the church. No. What we desire to to elect within men of this congregation are these qualifications before us. And so as we're nominating elders, as we are electing elders, as we are even training elders, we must ask some very very specific questions. Does this man seek to be, aspire to be an elder of the church? Is this man gifted to be an elder of the church? Does he meet the biblical requirements, qualifications to be an elder in the church? 
And so we do not nominate or elect men who cannot meet the qualifications as set forth in the Scriptures. And, and it doesn't even stop there because now those men who are elders of the church, who sit on the session of the church, it's their duty to ensure that these men who serve us as officers continue to walk in the ways of holiness, continue to live according to these qualifications. And so we ask the questions, does he still desire to serve the church in his elected capacity? Does he display the gifts that he must have to faithfully execute his role to which he has been elected? Has he disqualified himself according to scriptures? Or is he still qualified to serve in this office? You see, for Titus to get this very specific duty within the cities and the towns of the island of Crete, he is going about a very serious task. Just as we were reading in Nehemiah chapter 3, the very serious task before them was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the Lord granted favor for those who obeyed faithfully, and for their shame, He recorded all those who would not obey the commands of the Lord faithfully. And so before Titus is a serious task which the Lord will make him answer for. And so, Titus, you cannot just appoint any old man to be an elder. You cannot appoint any man to be an elder. It must be a man who meets the biblical qualifications. He must walk the walk and talk the talk. And so, walking in the way of blessing is hard. It's hard for us sometimes to nominate men and elect men. It's hard for us to judge them according to these characteristics, these qualifications. And, and Lord knows it's hard for us as a session to wrestle through these questions about qualifications and approving and disapproving and, and engaging talents and gifts that the Lord has given to men within our church so that they might serve in the correct capacity. It's a, it's a, it's a gate, a, a guardianship in which the elder elections are within the life of the church. And we guard it in such a way. And we guard it with the utmost sincerity because we believe that this is the way that God will bless us. This is the way that God will bless us. And that leads me to that second observation that I mentioned last week. That the qualifications are determined by God, which means that He gets to say who's qualified and who's not. Ultimately, the, the, the rails of the, the guardianship, if you will, the fence, is set by God Himself. We're just the gatekeepers as the session and as the congregation. So God gets to determine who is qualified and who is not. But yet again, as we mentioned last week, there should be an internal call and an external call. Men should desire to serve in that office. Men should think through within themselves what gifts they have to serve in the capacity of an elder or even a deacon. And then those giftings and those aspirations must be, must be confirmed by the local church. I mentioned this as an illustration last week, but as Pastor Don and I were going through our extensive and lengthy ordination process 
the first step of that process is to, one, tell your testimony, how you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then two, how the church or how the elders have affirmed you in your pursuing the pastorate. And so both of those things happen for your teaching elders or your pastors and also your ruling elders. It should be a an activity that, that both is at work. God Himself, by His Holy Spirit and His Word, is internally calling, and at the same time, the congregation is externally affirming. And so both of those observations are before us. And so as we move into the qualifications themselves, and if you look at verse 7 and the first part of verse 6, we have this repetition, and here's what we are to search ourselves for, Internally, as if you're a man within this congregation, and then externally, all of us as members of Christ Church here at First Presbyterian Church should say, I'm going to elect men who are like this. And the first qualification that you see here for the appointment and election of elders is a man who is above reproach. Above reproach. Now what that means here is that Titus is to look for men who do not have to be continually called to some sort of accountability or some sort of reproof or correction. In other words, Titus is to find men who aren't always having to be rebuked for some sort of action or some sort of doctrinal error. And so a man who is disqualified is one who is having to continually be rebuked by his brothers and sisters within the household of faith. He's constantly having to be corrected from some sort of bad behavior or false ideology or belief within the Christian religion. And what's interesting to me here is the way that Titus is written above reproach and the way that Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3 above reproach are actually two different things. In Titus, we have kind of this negative connotation. He's not a man who needs to repeatedly or continually or habitually be corrected by his brothers and sisters in the faith. But in 1 Timothy 3, it's got almost a positive connotation. It's a man who has a high reputation and it's deserved. He's worked faithfully to be recognized as a, a godly man. And so both of those things are at play. A man who is above reproach is a man who has walked in faithfulness very diligently, very intentionally, so that we might say this man is above reproach. And a man who is above reproach is beyond or above, if you will, habitually and often having to be corrected in the faith, either from doctrinal error or bad motives or bad actions. And so when, when Paul tells Titus that he must find men who are above reproach, that is what he's telling them. Now don't misunderstand me. He's not telling them that you must find a perfect man. Because perfect men do not exist. Titus is to find a man who, who is all out for, for, for living for Christ. Does that mean that he won't mess up? Well, sure, he'll mess up. Sure, he'll fall flat in the face of temptation. Always he'll fall short of God's glorious standards. The best leaders always say, I am least qualified to be an elder of the church. 
What worries me is when men come up to me and say, you know what, I'm reading through the qualifications of the elder within the life of the church, and boy, I got them all right. Well, no, you don't. (laughs) You got them all wrong. Because we should read these and say, I'm not always above reproach as I ought to be. But I am striving to be. That is what Titus is supposed to find. And why is he supposed to find a man who is above reproach? Well, it's so that the the name of Christ may not be lessened by his testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? That a man of Christ, his life should not lessen the fame and the glory of Jesus' name within his household, within his community. A man whose wife cannot bear to look at him. A man whose children do not respect him. A community that, that sees him as a Well, let's just use biblical language here. A man who is quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. If a community has these things to say about a man, he is not fit to be an elder or even a deacon within Christ's church because his testimony is not showing forth Jesus. And that is the first qualification, that he must be above reproach. The second one is that he must be a one-woman man. That's literally what the Greek says. If you look at the end of verse 6, it says, the husband of one wife, and, and much ink has been spilled by trying to figure out what Paul is talking about here. Is he talking about we can't practice polygamy? Is he talking about we, must, we absolutely must be married to be an elder? Well, I think we would get, you know, we would be, okay, yeah, you can't practice polygamy. But what about an unmarried man? Well, Titus, we never know if Titus is married. We don't know if Timothy's married. We know for a fact that Paul's not married. Are they now unqualified to be an elder in the church? So it can't be that. So what is happening here within this last little bit of verse 6, that he must be the husband of one wife? Well, I think the best way to say it is, How the original Greek says it. He must be a one-woman man. He must be faithful to his wife. He must be faithful to his bride in which he treasures. He must be what I might call an Ephesians 5 man. You know, we often talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. Well, we need a lot more Ephesians 5 men who love their wife as Christ loved the church and leads her in such a way that it promotes her sanctification, it promotes her growth in grace and holiness, so that he might present his wife before the Lord and the church as holy. That's what we need as elders within the life of the church. We need one-woman men. We need men who will treasure their wife. We need men who... And and notice how it's written. Notice how it's written. It's written to men, right? And so oftentimes we'll give the excuse, well, boys must be boys. We don't need boys. We need men. We need men who will love their wife as Christ loved the church. We need men who will lead her in the paths of righteousness. We need men who will, will garner the respect of their children. And of course, that's the third qualification that we see here. And I want to handle it very briefly because we need, we need elders who are not just one-woman men, but we need elders who are 
family shepherds. We need elders who are raising up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We need elders who have faithful kiddos. That's very important here for the Apostle Paul. He says, not only must he be the husband of one wife, but he must also have children who are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now we have to understand something about the, this idea of children. It's, 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 not, you know, it's not just children. Paul's not calling Titus to look at a man who's 60, 65 years old and he's got a 40-year-old kid who's wandered far away from the faith. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in your home, in your house, is your household pursuing Christ. And so that's what he's speaking of here. He's saying that they must be believers, that they must have a continual faith. They, they must be being raised up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They must be brought up in the faith. Of course, this is how Jesus works, isn't it? Throughout His whole Scriptures, throughout the entirety of the Word, He works in generations and in families. And so this is very important for the life of the church. If God has promised to be a God to us as believers, for the promises for you and for your children, then that promise, that faith must be handed down to our children so that the generations after us will know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the children must have a continual faith. An elder cannot have children within his home who are worshiping false gods or going to places of false religion. Here within the island of Crete, they could not be worshipers of the Greek god of Zeus, but they must be true worshipers of the living God according to His Word. And they cannot be, they cannot be accused of debauchery. They cannot be accused of wasteful or or evil living. They cannot be those who will continually be accused of being involved in, in wicked lifestyles. An elder cannot be one who tolerates his children living a godless, a godless life while supporting him in his home. Those are hard words, but this is what an elder must be. He must be a man who loves his children so much so that he will correct his child from godless and wicked living. But he also cannot be accused of continual rebellion. Look how he says there, or insubordination. The children must respectfully submit to the leadership of the home. They, they must be those who respect the, the hierarchy of the household. The father and the mother hand down the rules and the regulations of the home to the children. And the mom and their dad, especially the dad as the leader within the home, ought to, shall be those who promotes obedience and does not tolerate disobedience. And so as I understand this, as long as the child is in the home, it is his you know, it's the responsibility of the leader to see to, to really to see to it that his children do not uh, run wild, we might say, but that they are brought up in the faith 
And they are taught how to live a good, godly, and respectable Christian life. You see, what's being required here is that the man who's being nominated, elected, or serving as an elder to be faithful and stable and steadfast, so must be his children, or at least he's raising his children in that way. Raising our children in such a way that they are steadfast, stable, and faithful. And so that's how we begin these qualifications here in the book of Titus. He is to go from city to city, village to village, town to town, and he is to find men who have been changed by the gospel. Changed by the gospel and living out true thanksgiving for the salvation that the Lord had given to them. And you know, that's really the call of all of us as Christians, isn't it? Especially elders. We hold our elders to a higher standard of living. But especially for each and every one of us this morning who have been changed by the gospel of God, we are to be people who live out true thanksgiving for the salvation that the Lord has given to us. And so may it be so within our membership here, May it be so for those who are visiting us, but especially may it be so for those who lead us within the local church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to your word, and we pray, Lord, that it would encourage us where it ought to encourage us, convict us where it ought to convict us. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would make application to us so that we might grow in likeness and in gospel thanksgiving and faithfulness unto thee. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.